0: Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show.
1: Kevin, welcome to Disruption Blueprint. It only took me uh, two years to get you in the studio.
2: Hard to find. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I'm so, so psyched you're here. You know, one of our favorite things is get comfortable being uncomfortable and you'll never be uncomfortable again. And I have been so fired up to watch you wade into the marketing world, the podcasting world, because it's not something that you've traditionally done.
2: It is actually something I have actively avoided. <laughs> it's not even not traditionally done. Um so this but is a very true. I'm trying to I'm trying to turn the corner on this and do something a little different.
1: Well, and I've been really, really looking forward. You know, you and I have built a long relationship over a lot of years and I really respect your opinion and, and your insight. And one of the things that I wanna dig into that I think you have a unique just point of view on is the journey of independence. You've really become an evangelist for advisors to be independent. And so much of it is because of the journey that you've experienced in your career. So tee us up. Walk us through how you found yourself here.
2: So this goes way back, but um, right out of college, I chose to go work for a small firm in Atlanta at the time some people may remember it may not it was oldie discount stock brokers at the time and I was there for about seven years uh, in Atlanta enjoyed it loved the firm and um, then one day they got a knock on the door and H&R Block wanted to cross sell their tax clients but they needed a group of advisors to go do that and so they bought oldie at that point in time so through a variety of roles at h Block and Oldie, that kind of just continued down. Uh, I got back to Birmingham, which is kind of a hometown, not perfectly a hometown, but kind of a hometown. And then h Block Financial Advisors got acquired again.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so many I advisors
1: am. can relate to that. It's like yes. acquisition one, acquisition two. Yes.
2: And so H&R Block Financial Advisors got Bought out by Ameriprise, and everything's going along pretty good for the first two to three years at Ameriprise, and then I just wasn't as happy, wasn't as fulfilled um, with the kind of the direction that the company was wanting everyone to go at that time, and I really began to just kind of consider all of my options. I knew I wanted to stay in Birmingham. I knew there were a ton of different firms to look at, just even locally. So I kind of started that process of sifting through what do I want and where do I want to be? So talk to, you know, Merrill Smith Barney at the time there was uh, Raymond James was still, you know, I think they're still around Morgan Keegan and then a buddy of mine who happened to be the lead recruiter for our area with LPL said, Hey, you, you need to at least go talk to RFG, talk to Bobby. And I kind of pushed that off for a long time as I was exploring all these other options, including some other independent options. And finally, he just said, look, you're going to go meet with him. Here's the day that you're going to go. Just go talk to him. And so a little reluctantly I did. But when I came in and met with Bobby, very open, honest, um, straightforward My expectations of a place that I would be interested in working were aligning pretty quickly with what he was telling me was what RFG was built on. And so when I left that meeting, I had a completely different perspective after we went through not only what does that everyday look like, transition assistance, all of those types of things, you know, what was my day-to-day running my business going to look like? How much support would I have? So all of those things kind of came together and made it feel truly like kind of the traditional broker-dealer mm-hmm. that I had been with for a long time, but with the ability to do things exactly how I wanted them done. Yep. So that was kind of a neat thing.
1: It's like once you see independence, you can't unsee it.
2: I think very much so. And the more, you know, I kind of dug into... The numbers, you know, I had been acquired twice and, and here I am 17, 18 years into my career and I realized that the only place that I had ever chosen to work was the one when I got out of college, <laughs> right. right? But here I am at this place that I don't really like that much, that had changed dramatically from the time that we had been acquired and it wasn't where I wanted to be for another wow. 15 years right. or 20 years or however long I stay so it was it was kind of refreshing to be able to know that, that there was something on the other side that matched up with kind of how I perceived I wanted my business to look like going right. forward. Right.
1: And I want to dig into that about what your business looks like, because I think it's a really, you're doing things your way, which is part of what makes you successful and part of why you're enjoying the business. But before we get to that... You titled your double top secret spreadsheet, Project Delta, (laughs) as you were looking at the numbers, because one of the most challenging uh, things that advisors go through, and it's really difficult, and I see the inside of these spreadsheets all the time, is the apples to apples comparison of how do I evaluate the forgivable loan versus what independence looks like because it's independence there are greater number of question marks around what am i going to pay my assistant how much time do i need what am i going to do about office space what about healthcare like there's all these other things that are on the table because you ultimately have control over running your business but i love that you called this project delta and what i loved about that is that you focused in that spreadsheet on the break even analysis so go through that because i really like we're all numbers people. That's part of why we're in this right. business. But yet, when the numbers get super personal, it's almost like the hardest math an advisor's ever done.
2: Correct. Oh, and <laughs> I and I worked through it a thousand times, of course. Um, the numbers for me, there was a couple of different approaches that I took. One of them was, hey, what if I go and go to a traditional broker-dealer again, a Merrill, a Morgan Stanley, whatever, what does that number look like? And the thing that I always came back to was the forgivable note. Yep. Okay. The forgivable note, the first day is always the greatest day, as we've talked about, when the money hits the bank account, but then it's the five to 10-year consistent monthly drag on all those earnings through paying back part of that forgivable loan, the taxes that they hold back on it. So the reality is that that money gets to you. And yes, you are free to do whatever you want to with it. But there is this consistent drag over whatever the duration of the remaining note is. Mm -hmm. I had been through two of those via retention packages. Mm -hmm. And it was fun to get the check. But then every month when they continue to hit your paycheck, it's like, all right, well, At least to have that money. It's less exciting. It's not as rewarding anymore, right, as as day one. So I really wasn't looking to go through and get this giant payday again, Mm -hmm. right, through these retention packages or through a bonus for transition. So I looked at it in a different way. And that was, well, what if I don't take anything up front? What is my break even going to be from a revenue standpoint?
1: Against that forgivable loan.
2: Not even, for, not even not against even okay. Not even against the forgivable loan. If I just move, in other words, yep. if I just move, what percentage of my assets, let me rephrase, it. what percentage of my assets do I have to move to be where I am today, right. but independent? Yep. Okay. And so I went through and I figured out that after all of the deductions that I have and paying sales assistance and licensing and New York Stock Exchange fees, all the fees and everything wrapped in, I figured out that I could be break-even on an income annual basis if I brought 40% of my revenue. 40%?
1: 40,
2: 40%. Yep. And when I looked at that, and again, I had never moved. I had been acquired, right. so there's anxiety there, and that's why I'm yep. digging into it, because I didn't want to I didn't want to do this and have it blow up. Right. Right. You couldn't afford to. I couldn't afford to. You
1: have two young children. And even though your wife is successful and works still. That's right. You couldn't afford to. You couldn't afford to make the mistake.
2: So as I look through, I'm like 40%. I got that. I'm okay with that. So if the worst case scenario is that I move and I lose 60% of my revenue, I'm no worse than I was yesterday. Right. At a place that I'm less happy being. Right. Right. So... Can we turn that into like
1: an X, (laughs) Y (laughs) axis?
2: Right. And so the end result of that, and and again, I'd never transitioned before, and inevitably you lose a little, but I ended up transitioning 85 to 87% of my revenue came with me, Mm -hmm. and I had far beyond what I expected. Well,
1: and I'll, you know, the footnote to that story is my guess is the part that didn't transition was probably locked up in a proprietary product that couldn't transition. There could
2: have have been some of that. There could have been some of that. Yeah. So when I got to the 40% number, I was at peace with that, right? I can make that happen. I know that I can make that happen. And I knew that I would make more than that happen. But just knowing what the break even was um, at 40% of revenue to come over, seem like a layup.
1: You know, and it's funny because the investment banker in me, when I look at these deals, when you and I were, you know, talking about Project Delta, it was a real like light bulb moment about the simplicity of that analysis Mm -hmm. of what percentage, you know, because we see it time and time again where average advisors transitioning are bringing over 90 plus percent of their assets. I mean, they're clocking them in close to, you know, 95, 98%, 99%. More often than not, it's like, oh, I really was hoping those assets weren't going to come with me right? and they're still showing up. But it's really given, I think, a finer point to how we have this tendency to overcomplicate things when fear is involved. Yes, and when you really strip this down to the baseline of like, what is my break-even point based on my business today? And you do the math, and you realize because that's about what it is. It's about like you need around 40, 40 to fifty percent of assets to transition and your break-even being independent. And that's that's, right. that's layering in all of your expenses for being independent. Absolutely, it's break-even take-home.
2: That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. The other kind of aspect of thinking about that with the transition loan is that now I wasn't burdened by that transition loan and I didn't have to worry. The break-even numbers and not getting anything and getting a meaningfully higher payout versus taking a huge upfront payment and getting your 45 or 50 percent. However, the break-even time frame on that is really only about four and a half to five years, mm-hmm. and that's assuming no growth. Right. If you grow, once you move your business, because now you're free to do it, the number of years to break even
1: drops mm-hmm.
2: dramatically.
1: Yeah. So, it's like a dual analysis. Break even – as is moving the business and break even versus the forgivable loan. How that's many right. years? That's right. Well, and you know what, where I'm like, let me jump on the soapbox. What I love, especially, you know, you're young in the business, you're building this practice is that you have an appreciating asset on your family's personal balance sheet that mm-hmm. is meaningful.
2: Sure. Sure. I mean, that's when you leave a traditional style broker dealer wirehouse, <laughs> it's not yours. Right. It's not, no matter how much you think it is, it's not yours. Yes, there are some sunset provisions and so forth, but the company that you're with is not going to give you the multiples that are available in the independent market. If somebody wants to come buy my book right now and whatever the prevailing rate is, you're just not going to find that right. anywhere else. And it might just be a one-year sunset. It might be a six-month sunset. You can customize your departure yep. however you yeah. want to whether it be over a year, five years, whatever it may be. So that's a lot more flexibility. And yes, I'll eventually be able to get that value that I've worked so hard from back out of that as legacy to kids or or whatever, yeah. however you choose to view it. What
1: do you think it was? Because once you made the move, you were a bit of a um, trendsetter. I read in That's the Wall. I, I read in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend that there is a trend about men rolling up their pants and wearing cropped pants. <laughs> so you're not quite that I'm, much of I'm a trendsetter. Much, no. Maybe we'll shout out to Gibson and his rolled-up pants. But you set a trend in that you made the move, and several advisors followed you. Why do you think that is?
2: Because I was the guinea pig <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> There were a lot of people where I was at the time who were considering options. And when I had figured out that I was going to do this, I had spoken confidentially with a number of them and they were all very interested. They had come over and met with Bobby, um, kind of came away with the same impressions and ideas that I had from it and were on board with considering it. But I was First, yeah. To to my knowledge, I was first, and and I told Bobby, I said, you know, let's let's make this go really well (laughs) because there's more where I came from, and I think now, I don't know. I think I brought over six, five or six guys at some point, five or six guys. So, and everybody is happy (laughs) and happy that they made the change, and it took a couple of years. That's like, oh, I know, I know. My heart's so happy. So. When you figure out, and for me it was here, but when you figure out where you're going to go and and where you're going to be an independent advisor, you're going to be happy once you have gone through the very brief transition period because of the increased compensation, the increased support, the technology backup that I can't deal with. I don't want to do my own taxes and compliance. And I actually... And I tell people this all the time. It kind of goes back to where I was at, at the old place. But so let's say I was at a 50% payout where I had been before. As I looked through at the end of the year, I wondered what value I got for my 50% that they kept. Right. And I couldn't come up with a, an amount of services or benefits large enough to meet that number.
1: Yeah.
2: And so I'm happy to pay RFG, the percentage that I pay RFG every single month to take care of all of the things that I don't want to do on a regular basis. And, you know, to keep me out of trouble compliance wise for things that I might overlook or miss, um, to process payroll for sales assistants, to let them be a part of 401k and the benefits package. I mean, all those things are value to me that I am happy to pay for. Up, um, out of their revenue,
1: which is a perfect tee up for my next question, um, because you've really been a little bit of a like ninja master <laughs> on work life balance, and you know from the minute I met you, and our kids are close in age, you know, um, teenagery. Yes, uh, very we're teenager-y. we're very teenagery in the trench. <laughs> um, you've had a very, I think, clear eyed view of the hierarchy of need and recognizing the fleeting moment of time and that your kids are only going to be this young for a short period of time. And you've you've accomplished what I think so many advisors seek, which is you're going to walk the walk on what is the highest and greatest use of my time while also building your practice and seeing year over year growth, like even stripping out a a positive market, you know, positive market environment, you you're organically growing your practice. You know, Bobby always likes to say there's no such thing as work life balance. There's just life, which I really, I I think the second you think, oh, I'm seeking this like balance, you're, you're going to be so disappointed. How have you done that? And and how have you really structured your time that you are walking out the door and you're picking up the kids and you're at the, you know, you're at the sports field. You're really, mm. really involved very intentionally with your children's lives.
2: The the biggest thing is making the conscious decision that that is what you want and that's what you're going to do. Period. Um, I used to coach baseball. I would pick him up from school, take him home, get him changed. We'd go to baseball till seven. Now it's, you know, until he started driving not long ago, it was uh, cross country. And now it's cheerleading for my daughter. Those, my son is a junior now. And he's halfway, almost halfway through his junior year as we as we do this. I got a year and a half left with him in the house and then he is gone. I want to be a part of every single thing that he'll allow me to be a part of until that time ends and likewise with my daughter cheerleading competitions I don't know anything about cheerleading I didn't know anything about cross country and running either when my son started but just being a part of and be, being a part of what they are interested in and and being there for whatever they need at any time that's a priority we like to spend time at the lake I've gotten into a habit on Thursday afternoons in the summertime to work maybe Thursday afternoons down there and definitely work Friday mornings. Um, But then I'm there for three, three and a half day weekends as often as I can in the summertime. And the family all comes down and we have a great weekend. So I think it's the conscious decision to commit to being there and realizing that, yes, we owe a duty and we have an obligation to our clients to be there for them and to provide things. But they also understand that we have families that we want to be a part of and watch them do all the things that they want to do just like they do mm-hmm. and leaving at three thirty in the afternoon most days is not the end of the world it can be managed or if they really need to call me in the afternoon they can call me yeah. and let me know whatever it is um, and i don't mind doing that because They also understand that I value my time. Mm -hmm. And and I've worked with many of them for so long, they kind of know what my hours are just organically. But it's the conscious decision to do it. I mean, I'm not going to miss, you know, any more cross-country or track meets or cheerleading sessions because I'm working. Right. Like, that's just – I mean, there might be a rare meeting out of town that something comes up, but but I'm just not going to do it.
1: So why don't more advisors – walk the path that you're walking.
2: I really don't know unless they feel some kind of corporate loyalty at some point where they feel like they have to be there. I think COVID's broken a bunch of this down though in the last yeah. couple of years. I don't think it's as bad as it was. I think more people are starting to to take time out of the office. I think that they are working, you know, remotely from home and a little more flexible in that. I think it's actually getting a little bit better. But traditionally, certainly, you had to be in the office until you know, four o'clock right. when the bell rang, <laughs> right. and be there at eight thirty because you might somebody might need to run a trade. And you no. know those days are gone. Certainly, in my world, they yeah. are gone. Yeah. Um, with so much going to portfolio management and less transactional yeah. type business, that's evolved over the last ten years, even even longer than that. Really, I just I don't think the importance of being there you know eight thirty to three o'clock every day is what it was, yeah. but it's still ingrained in a ton of people's heads, yeah, you know and and there's still plenty of guys that wear ties to work every day, and I can't imagine <laughs> doing that.
1: We would um, be like, "Are you going on a job interview
2: <laughs> right, what's wrong? you feeling okay but i I just can't imagine living w- with constraints like that in the continuous you know meetings. About meetings, you know,
1: and- it's um I one of the best pieces of of advice on this that I absolutely love is that whole concept of you know, I'm too busy, I'm too you know, I can't I can't make it. I'm too busy. you replace that with it's not important to me. and the second you have to, oh, I can't do that, I'm too busy, I'm too stressed, I'm blah, blah blah, blah blah with it's not important to me. it is like someone slapping you across the face because right. you're like, huh? you know. I'm too busy. It's not important to me to be present for my daughter's cheerleading right. competition.
2: Right. It hurts. Like that. Right. That's going to sting. Wakes you up.
1: That's going to wake you up. It's part of, you know, I love our industry. I think financial advisors play this incredibly important role in people's lives. And I think it's one of the most attractive career paths for young people to consider. It's challenging to get into the industry and we can, you know, maybe a topic for another day, but I do believe that as people are assessing how do I weave together a very fulfilling career with this opportunity to be present For the people who matter the most to me, it's one of the best places you can sit.
2: I've told people repeatedly, if I had to sit in a bank from eight to five for three times the money that I make now, I wouldn't do it. No way. Or if I, anything that restrains me to where I have to be somewhere from eight to five every single day, you can forget about it. I'm just not going to do it. It's not worth it anymore. Right. I mean, it's just not worth it. The flexibility of being, you know, which kind of brings up something I know we were going to talk about earlier but um, or, or later on, but the flexibility to be a mile and a half from the school, yeah, the schools, both yeah. of them, and to just have access to run down there and pick up or see them compete or watch a football yeah. game or whatever it may be, and the same distance From the house.
1: Yeah. It changes your life. It has. It changes your life. Okay. So let's talk about it. You and a few other advisors bought your own building, um, RFG Annex, as I like (laughs) to call it. And uh, I think that that's a dream that a lot of advisors really have is like, I want, you know, there is something around, like, I want, I want to own the brick and mortar that is surrounding me, not only from a financial balance sheet perspective in terms of investing in an asset as opposed to paying rent. How did you go about doing that, and would you do it again?
2: I would 100% do it again. The process really took us about a year or a year and a half. We were not in a hurry to move into a new building, and a lot of the things that we had looked at were more than we just really wanted to bite off, more from a square footage standpoint. Than a pricing standpoint because the market was good interest rates are cheap but we finally found a place that fit kind of the the right size in a really good location that's close to lots of restaurants and little neighborhoods and so forth so it's it's been great clients that are in that area love to come by all the time mm-hmm. now, right they just i had somebody pop in, pop in this morning right Katie wasn't there. The door was locked. I had to scramble to go unlock the door for her, right? So um, little things like that. But to be able to invest in an asset that I'm just paying for over time and then when I'm done, either own the building and just collect rent during retirement or sell the building if there's any appreciation. We did not go into it with that as as a main agenda item but it's been it's been great to be able to just kind of pay ourselves back and get the depreciation and so mm-hmm. forth off of it and I think if you if you go in and you look at at the right size place for the right number of people that are going to be there for a while I think it's 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 perfect situation yeah I mean it really is and especially when you get to select your own location yep. close to your clients and and other things that you enjoy.
1: Doing. I hope that this is one of the trends that we see in the next couple of years. You know, you guys have done this. Our advisors down in Shreveport have bought and renovated a, an old house, the pink house, the billings group up in Kansas are looking at buying and renovating an old building on main street, Cincinnati, Steve faith up in Cincinnati at river Oak is looking to do it. This whole idea of like changing the paradigm of where an advisor works weaves into the client experience. So from, you know, from my perspective, it's a little bit like the oldest play in the book. Doctors have always done this. They all own their businesses. Like, find me a doctor. Well, now with the ro- physician roll-ups, it's a little bit different. But if right. you roll back the clock, right. certainly my father was an orthodontist. He owned all his real estate. Mm-hmm. That was a part of of building a successful business. But I love it when it takes it one step further, and it's not just – it becomes like my clients are popping in. Billy right. Haskins is building a new office Uh-oh. in Enterprise. Right. That's going to be really cool, Good. and they're all being designed around this. Like it should feel comfortable. It should be inviting. You should want to come and hang out. Right? Because we're you know stewards of these right. clients' life. It's so much more than managing their assets. It's being their life coach.
2: It is. It is. And it is nice when they just pop by. We like being a part of that community. Yeah. You know, you know this building RFG. Corporate is in one section of town in Vestavia, which is fantastic. We're kind of a little further south in uh, the Inverness area. And that's where I have a lot of clients down that way. Yep. And so it is nice to be able to say, oh, I'm right there in Inverness, right come off. Come on Holy over. Dale. Drop by. Yeah. Just come on by. I'll, I'll send you the address. Yeah. And then having them do it. Right. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and really, more than anything, it's just because now I feel like I have my business Exactly in the center of the people that I serve. Yeah, Re- not rather than where I was, but it's a lot closer than where I was. Yep. Right. So, yep. um, it's been it's been excellent. That's awesome. Yeah. All
1: right. So I want to talk about succession planning. It's on like everybody's mind, especially in light of the the more recent volatility we've been seeing like record number of deals that get reported there's obviously a lot of kind of internal succession that's probably not hitting those deal tables you know you're of the age a natural acquirer of assets but to date you know it is the the numbers really haven't budged you know in the past 7 years we've been pinned at of advisors have a succession plan. The industry is aging. You know, we are, show me a study, it's somewhere between 60 and 65 years is the average age of financial advisor, which means we have some that are older than than 60. Some Um, we've talked to. (laughs) Exactly. So what do you think is going to, what's going to have to happen for these assets to start transitioning in earnest to the next gen advisors and what are the the pitfalls of really looking at succession as the driver of your business growth?
2: Well I think everybody has the has the glory idea of just acquiring everything they can get their hands <laughs> on, right? And just their revenue goes it's through. Like the, the Gordon roof. Gecko model. It is. I want it all. The reality is that the 65 year old guy for the last six or seven years has just sat back and made 12% increases every year <laughs> or more. And it's been insanely easy in those cases to just, why give up the paycheck? Like, yep. if I sell it, I might get two or three times, but I could sit here for five more years and then get two or three times right. after making five years of income. The thing that i think is going to happen unfortunately and and this goes back to a saying that i learned early in the business um, was that financial advisors die at their desk (laughs) and i think there's a couple of sides to that and i i don't believe it all the time but i think there is a lot of truth in it is that they build such good relationships over so many years with their clients who are close family friends or get that way they don't want to relinquish those families over to people who may not care as much as they do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I get it. Yeah, I get it. The problem with that is you don't know when you're going to go, and <laughs> you're going to leave them in that situation yeah. at some point anyway. So, yes, <laughs> I think older advisors need to put some type of a plan in place, but to say that there's going to be this groundswell from – that have a plan to 80% that have a plan. That's never going to happen. Ain't going to happen. It's never going to happen. But reaching out to people in the area to let them know that you're looking, preferably if they're already independent advisors, and just starting to build those relationships. And that way, I mean, you never know. They could have a health scare or something could change dramatically. They may want to move to the beach and they're just – for whatever reason, maybe we have a bear market for four years and right. they're just done. Things will change at some point in time. And you want to be the person that they remember having those conversations with. Yeah. But I don't know that there's going to be this massive, massive wave. change. I, I mean, I agree. Can we get it to 30% with a succession plan? Maybe. <sighs> maybe. maybe Right. I mean, that I think up that's Like maybe,
1: maybe against a bear market. Right. Right. <laughs> don't know if we really want to wish for that.
2: No, we don't. <laughs> we're we're done with this one. I think it's right. exactly. it's over. Yeah.
1: Part of your succession plan, hopefully, the stars align, involves your son. So I want to talk a little bit about Webb and PRs. <laughs> he has, you know, after a very successful baseball career, as you mentioned, pivoted to um, becoming very passionate about cross-country running and has his eye set on possibly competing at a, at a D1 school or at least at the collegiate level and you know he's he looks so cute in his tie as he came to you know intern for you <laughs> for a bit yeah i feel like having known you for the last 7 years he has played an outside role in shaping who you are and in particular the last you know 18 or so months you've really focused on your health and getting you know, getting fit and and being really, you know, being, being not only there for him um, emotionally and mentally, but being there for him physically. How does he inspire you?
2: The thing that impresses me the most about him is the dedication to do it on his own. Really two things, the dedication uh, to do it on his own and a tremendous work ethic. I mean, 6 a.m. during the summer, five days a week running six to 14 miles, then going to a construction job for the rest of the day as he did last summer. And he does it because he loves it, but he also wants to be great. And just seeing that every single day, I don't even think I told you this earlier when we were talking about it, but he ran a race that he deemed subpar a couple of weeks ago. And the next morning when I, when I got up and came out, his car was out of the driveway and I looked, I looked to see where he was and he was back at the same place that he had run the night before, running the race again because he was disappointed with how he performed and he wanted to go back. So that's kind of wow. this relentlessness and this just dedication that, that he shows. I mean, it's and and that's a little bit of what went into, you know, the commercial that, that yeah. I did this year as yeah. you talked about my, my new uh huh
1: breaking audio, out into breaking the marketing.
2: Out. But it also kind of goes back to the trip that we had this summer in preparation for his season, but there was kind of, there's been this kind of underlying theme for the majority of this year called relentless forward progress. And that's kind of something that I have thought back on many, many times, you know, the Lake Martin 27 mile run, bad knee halfway through. What do you think about just relentless forward progress? Just move.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Focusing on his running and trying to get better, not feeling great every day, but but working his butt off and running so many miles, relentless forward progress. Right. And it even kind of goes into our into our relationship with our clients. Yes, we have not been forward progress for the past year, dollar wise or Mm -hmm. percentage return wise, but you can still apply that relentless forward progress theme to are we still taking care of long term care needs? Mm-hmm. Are we still making progress in getting their estate plan done? Are we still making progress and making sure that we're pulling money out of their tax deferred accounts efficiently? All of those things are progress, yep. right? And we just have to continue to do those things. Yep.
1: So, I love that. That's gonna be the title of your podcast. Relentless forward progress. Well, let's not get carried away. Come about on,
2: me in a, a series of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that's um, that's what I most admire about him.
1: What's his best PR?
2: Mile was four thirty eight, wow. and five k uh, was last weekend sixteen sixteen.
1: Wow! So, and his goal is sub.
2: Uh, for his junior year he'd like to go into the 15s yeah any number in the 15s would be good and my goal this year is probably uh 420 if i had good it, yes.
1: night, man that's smoking get a fast little,
2: gotta get a, both of them a little bit lower, <laughs> a little bit lower. and then he'll have his he, he might have his choice so, that is awesome it's, it's been exciting. great having you well thank you for having me it's it was really enjoyable. awesome
1: yep. loved it
0: Thank you for listening to the Disruption Blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice. Nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy. Information here may be provided, in part, by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guest nor RFG Advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by Registered Representatives of Private Client Services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by Investment Advisory Representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC. RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private Client Services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory Services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission, nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.